Well, good morning, everybody. Morning. Thank you for coming to Gospel Saving Church this morning. It's a pleasure to be here in my home with you guys and to be able to share the, the Word of God with you all. And it's, uh, it's a pleasure. I'm, uh, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. And uh, anyway, we're going to open up in a word of prayer. And then uh, we'll start our scripture. We'll start teaching, okay? So if everybody wants to bow with me, and it's the word of prayer for the service and our hearts so, so that we can have God prepare our hearts for this message and for the word today. Please join me, Lord. Thank you for bringing us here, Lord God. Thank you for bringing us here. And Lord, uh, moving in hearts like you always have since the creation of mankind, Lord, Adam and Eve. Lord, I, I know that you're working. You're always working. And Lord, I just praise you, God, for... Praise you, God, for your son, Jesus. And I praise you for all that you've done for me and all you've done for this church and all you've done for all of us, Lord God. We just can't be so thankful and I can't be thankful enough, Lord God. And I pray, God, that you would prepare our hearts, Lord God, to receive what you have to say to us today. And I pray you'd open our understandings so that you would speak clearly to us, Lord. Holy Spirit, move among us, speak to us, and fall upon us today, and meet us all where we are. I just pray you keep distractions out and Satan down, and keep him out, bind him out, Lord God, bind him, that he would not be able to come into this place, he would not be able to get inside our minds while we're listening. I pray you put steel cages around our minds, Lord God, with no openings that only your Holy Spirit could speak in. The enemy would be blocked out, Lord. Thank you so much. And I just praise you and I thank you. Help us all, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys want to open up to Matthew chapter 5, and while you guys are open up to Matthew chapter 5, if you guys have any cell phones, uh, we'd appreciate just cutting off your cell phone or just putting it on silent. That way we don't have any distractions and keeps those down and any ringings and all that stuff going on. And, So Matthew chapter 5 and go down to verse 21. Everybody's there. We'll start reading. 5 verse 21. Jesus is speaking again on the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins and says, You have heard it was said to those of old, You shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him. Least your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. 
Verse 27, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you, to, for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin... Cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let her give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except for sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery as well. Again, you have heard it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your hand, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn, to the, other, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said you shall not or you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So continuing on from Christ, and we studied last week, Matthew 5, 17-20, we studied Christ being the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Uh, he teaches on more parts of God's law. These are all parts of God's law. From 21 through 48, they're each a section out of the law of Moses or the law of God. That's what these are. They all come out of the Old Testament. They're all God-given commandments or laws that God gave to Moses through the, all the way through Exodus, all the way through Deuteronomy. So there it spans that all those books are just bits and pieces of it. Um, now Jesus starts, if you notice, Jesus starts each one of these topics with you have heard that it has been said, or it has been said. And he moves right into saying, but I say to you. He does it throughout the rest of the chapter on each different topic that he teaches on. There are two reasons. There are, these two sayings, excuse me, are very important, and they hold a huge significance as to what Christ is really trying to teach us here. And let me explain. So first of all, you have heard it was said, speaking of each law. Well, these guys would have known these laws. These guys would have known these commandments that Christ gave, that God gave. Uh, 
in Deuteronomy 11, don't go there, but in Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 20, God is telling his people when he's giving this law, he's telling them all these different things and he's, he's telling them all the laws and all the, the, the different things that he wants them to know and the things to keep and the, you know, the things to do and so on and so forth. And 18 through 20, he says to them, as he's telling them all these different laws, all these different commandments, he tells them in 18, therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. These, these little things that they had come between their eyes, it was their hair, their frontlets between your eyes. And you shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So this law that God gave in Deuteronomy and all the way through Exodus, these people, the Jews, they knew it. They knew it. They knew it like we know, you know, the Ten Commandments that we have here in America. They knew it. You know, they, they just, it was ingrained into them. You have heard it was said was really an understatement to these people. Uh, they didn't just hear it, but they could have had it pounded into their heads daily. The Jewish people at the time were very religious. And what did God say? Teach it to your children. Talk about it. Walk and when walk and talk about it. Write it on your house doorposts. Put it on your walls. Put it on. The, Jews had these little belts that they had around their waist that they had little vials on, and in these little vials they kept these little writings, and they were the law. And they would take out. They could take out the law at any time, and they could look and read the law because they didn't have access to the scriptures that we like that we do today. So. You have heard it was said was really an understatement to these people. So why did Jesus use this phrase then? You have heard it was said. If these people knew the commandments already. <clears throat> because with this statement, but I say to you, Jesus is telling them that what they've heard and what they've been taught was wrong. It was incomplete. They did not hear the commandments and the laws correctly a hundred times. But I say to you, now listen, it was incomplete. Hundreds and thousands and probably thousands of years, who knows when they started getting it wrong, when they started really misteaching it, but they were wrong even when the time that Jesus came. And how do we know, how do we firmly know when Jesus says, but I say to you? Now think about it. You're doing a good job, John, but there's something else we need to do. Uh, yeah, man, you know, you, you, you did a real good job washing that car, but you missed a spot. So think about that. Whenever you hear the word but, it means that there's something else that there's not. It's, it's something else you're missing. So remember, but I say to you. So let's apply that something to be added to what Jesus is doing here with his statement. He is teaching the people the full meanings of these laws. Really what he's doing is, he came and he's redefining the laws and the commandments that God laid down. Uh, so what about these laws and these commandments was Jesus redefining anyway? I mean, you say, well, they, I mean, they were given. It's pretty, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, thou shall not commit adultery. Uh, thou shall not murder. I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory. So what did Jesus have to redefine about those laws and those commandments that he has to say, but I say to you. Well, remember last week we talked about that people then and now. And if you got eyes to see, you could see it. 
believe that they could keep the law and keep the pro and keep the commandments of God and hold a righteousness before God. Well, and I've talked to people. So, man, you know, are, are you a sinner? Well, I mean, I know I'm a sinner. Well, so have you ever uh, have you ever committed adultery? No, I've never committed adultery. I know I was married to one wife. I've never committed adultery. I'm like, okay, all right, that that's fine. You've never committed adultery. Well. Jesus squashes in this whole section of scripture, Jesus squashes that idea of I can have a righteousness obeying the law and the commandments of God by keeping the law and the commandments. He squashes it. Uh, here's how he does it. And if you look at each little segment, we're going to in a minute. He doesn't give the people just the word, just the letter of the law. He gives them the spirit of the law because there is a letter of the law and there's a spirit of the law. What do I mean when I say that? The letter of the law says, do not do this one thing. And sure, I can maybe uh, not hurt somebody. Uh, you know, I could maybe not do this in the letter of the law. I, sure, I could not murder somebody. Sure, I could probably do that. But then as an example, we're going to look at today, just an ex as an example, just before we get there. But he said, but anybody that's even angry with his brother without a cause, he's in danger of the judgment. So you didn't actually have to commit, Jesus said. You didn't have to commit that murder. You just had to be angry at somebody without a cause. In, in God's eyes, it's just like you murdered. See, they missed that whole entire part. They thought, well, I can just not murder. But it goes way deeper than that, according to Christ. It goes way deeper than that. So, people really miss the heart of God when they believe that they could be made righteous by the law. Remember Galatians 3, 24 and 25 that we talked about last week. It talked about how the law, its basic, its sole purpose in God's word was to lead us, to be a tutor, to tell us how that we needed Christ because we could never be righteous before God by keeping the law. And and so, but you might be saying, what? I'm, I'm a pretty good person. i I've never really broken the commandments too much. You know, I'm pretty good. Uh, so remember our title. Our title, I didn't give it yet. I'm sorry, I didn't give it. Our title of today's sermon is A Knife in the Heart of Self-Righteousness. And I want you should understand this, uh, this, the meaning of this title soon. God looks deeper than our flesh. He looks at the heart of each individual right down to your motives, Right down to your intentions. God sees our hearts and looks right down to the core of our very person. He looks at those as much as he looks at what you actually did. If he, he saw whether you were angry with that person, you committed, him, you, you committed murder, or he also saw if you murdered him. doesn't matter. God sees it all. You can't hide. So with that in mind, before we go in depth on these laws that Jesus has given us some re-education, we got to go to 1 Samuel. Don't go there because I'm, I'm just going to basically describe the story to you. It's 1 Samuel. It's, uh, we're going to end with 16.7, but 1 Samuel, God <laughs> has a problem. Just like his problem has always been since the creation of mankind, and that's man. God's problem is us. In this particular situation, God's problem is Saul. God lifted up a king that he called Saul, and his name was Saul. He was a great big guy, and, and he was stood head and shoulders above the rest of the Israelites, and he was a 
mighty god or mighty mighty warrior, a mighty mighty guy. And in this in this story, like I said, God's problem is people. Samuel blew it, or Saul, excuse me, Saul blew it. He uh, was sacrificing to God on his own when in that time only priests did that. He was he was going against God's command. God to give him a command to do this or do that. Or when you walk into this village, when you go to this battle, make sure nothing remains. Get it all, go, kill it all, kill every animal and every this and every that. And, and then um, Samuel, which was the prophet at this time, this was for Samuel. Samuel at this time would, would come in, and uh, he knew God's charge to Saul, and he'd say, uh, uh, "Saul, why do I hear the bleeding of sheep in the background? Why, why do I hear cows mooing? And didn't God tell you to wipe out everything, beasts, everything, every living creature that's in this camp in this in this war that you that you won? Didn't he say if you when you won, wipe it all out? And then Saul, oh, oh well, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, but you see, I, I know God said that, but but uh, but I was kind of thinking that uh, you know." Uh, I would just save the animals, you know, just the, just the best animals, because you know I was going to sacrifice them to God. You know, after all, that's that's what God wants is, is our sacrifice. And, and God got mad with Saul. God was angry with Saul because he was not listening to what God told him to do, and he was the king of Israel. And and in the Christian faith and the Jewish faith, Judaism is very much the same. The the more accountable God makes you as the pastor or the leader of the congregation or whatever, the more he expects out of you, the more you can't just say, oh, well, you know, I know he said that. Anyway, Saul was very accountable to God, and he was not accountable to God. He just did his own thing. So God's problem was he had to replace this kingdom. He had to replace this king. And he decided to do it with a man named King David, but he wasn't King David yet. He was just a shepherd boy, and his father's name was Jesse. And Jesse had eight sons total, and so when Samuel came, God said, Samuel, go up to Jesse's house, and I'm going to pick myself there a new king. And I'm going to take care of this problem I got here. I'm going to get this problem, Samuel, or Saul, out of there. I'm going to kick him out. I'm going to bring a new king. So Samuel goes up, and he, he gets up there, and he meets before Jesse, and he says, uh, Jesse, I, I need to see your kids. And so Jesse sends these seven great big guys, these awesome looking Israelites, fit and really strong and really looking good and wise and, and, and all seven passed before Samuel and God says this to Samuel, do not look at the appearance, don't, do not look at his appearance or their appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. Saul, or some, excuse me, Jesse had one son in particular that was very, very good looking and Saul this is when the very first one passed through and he says don't look at him I've refused him I don't want that one I don't want that one for the Lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance but God looks at the heart and that was where eventually Samuel says to Jesse do you have any more sons I mean I know God told me to come here to pick a new king I mean we're Where's your kids? You know, where, this can't be it. God hasn't chosen any of these people. And and Jesse says, "Well, I do have one young boy. He's, he's out in the field. He's he's real ruddy. He's real small. He's puny. He's, he's a sheep herder. He's sheep tender. You, you want me to call him in?" And Samuel says, "Yes, call him in." And David walks before Samuel, and God says, "This one I chose." So God didn't look 
at the seven sons that could have made great kings because they look good because he knew what was on the inside. God knows what's on our insides. He knows what the heart of every man is and he knows what the heart of every man and we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I don't want to get to that yet. But you know, he chose David and David's testimony in the Old Testament for God, from God was that David was a man after God's own heart so God knows what he's doing. God sees the real reasons why we do things. We can't hide anything from Him. Now keep these scriptures in mind as we read these teachings of Christ in depth. So first we have verses 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Now this... Do not murder is the sixth commandment in the Ten Commandments, right out of the Exodus 20. This is the sixth commandment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. That, that danger of the judgment, well, he used that same in danger of the judgment for murder itself in verse 21. So just because we're angry with a person, God says, I see that just like I see murder. Just because you were angry with that person. The next one he goes on to, he goes to say, And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Now Raka, uh, its definition was uh, empty-headed, senseless, uh, a term of reproach used amongst the Jewish people. They would use that to disrespect one another. Raka, you're a raka, you're stupid, basically. What, what, what's wrong with you? You ain't got nothing in your head. Raka, it was a very vulgar, you know, disrespectful term that they call people. And for this one, he says, Raka shall be in danger of the council. Now, this is the council would be, you know, you can't just walk around, think of a Christian church. You can't just walk around in a Christian church. You can't even walk around in your job and say, you've you empty-headed nothing or other, you're going to get in trouble. Your boss is going to call you in. You're going to get written up so that you're in danger of the council. Okay, then he says, But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. So the judgment, hell fire, they're all judgments made by God. God is judging us by what we do, but he's also going to judge us according what our motives are. If we've ever been angry with somebody without a cause. God says, I'm judging that. And you're in danger of the judgment, just like you murdered. So the letter of the law says, do not commit a physical act of murder. That's the letter. The harder spirit of the law says, even if you're angry, you're in danger of the judgment, in danger of hell. And in case you're thinking, well... Oh, angry, you know, come on, you know, angry. Uh, the angry word definition by Miriam Webster here is feeling or showing anger. So, have we ever felt or showed anger toward anyone when they did nothing wrong? You better believe I have. Well, God looks at that just like he looks at, at murder. Wow. And look at the steps that Jesus said to take so that so that anger wouldn't happen and that there would be peace or reconciliation between us. For whoever therefore, excuse me, therefore if you bring your gift to the altar 
and they remember that your brother has something against you. Now notice, he didn't say your brother killed you. He said you realize that your brother had something against you. That means you realize your brother was angry with you. So if you bring your gift to the altar, that means you're going to the altar, you're going to be worshiping God there, you're going to give your sacrifices there. God says, if you realize that your brother has something against you, look what he says. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. So he says, I don't want your worship if there's something not right. I don't want your worship. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come get your gift. Why? Because if we're angry in the heart, we're murderous. And that's how God sees it. And what is he saying? First, go make things right. <coughs> get right before you come and worship me because I don't want your worship if you're angry with somebody without a cause. Because God looks at that like he looks at murder. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with them. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. Judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Surely I say to you, by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Go make it right. And if there's anything you owe him, pay him up. Because you know me, you know, don't know if he's going to drag you to court and then they're going to find you guilty and they're going to send you to jail. Bam. Unbelievable. The law versus the letter. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So this do not commit adultery is the seventh commandment. Um, notice he said to look after her. The letter of the law says, do not go have relations with a woman or a woman with a man unless you're married. That's the law. Do not commit the act. And again, we might be able to do that. I'm, you know, good. I want to live a good moral life. I'm not going to go have relations with a woman or vice versa, a woman with a man, because you know. But look what Jesus said. The heart of the law was. The heart of the law was, even if you look at another, I'll say another because we got women and men in this room. Even if you look at another, whether you're a man looking at a woman or a woman looking at a man, you committed adultery. You just did it. But you say, but I didn't commit the act. God says, I don't care. You said it in your heart. I see your heart. For Samuel, I see your heart. You look to lust. You're guilty. Guilty is charged. Just like if you would have gone out and had relations with a woman or man, not touching them and all that garbage and all that stuff. Verse 31 32. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give him a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except for sexual morality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, as a biblical backdrop for that commandment, that actually wasn't a commandment, that was a law. And that was in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 24.1, and it was under laws concerning divorce. That wasn't a commandment, that was a law. Uh, the woman in the biblical days had no right to divorce. Uh, Jesus did a lot for women's rights. I've heard a lot of women say, when I've been out street evangelizing, a lot of women that are into the New Age 
women's movement that uh, that Christianity is uh, you know it's all about suppressing the women, but really Jesus took in prostitutes and sinners and and you know women that were the society didn't want and and he lifted them up and said hey you come to me you're just the same as anybody but but in this time women had no rights to to even file for a divorce so we can't be we can't be narrow minded on this one and say it's only the man or it's only the woman that's going to be in you know in danger of committing the adultery uh the woman would be an adulterer, yes, if a man divorced her. But if the man, if he divorced her, would be an adulterer, it, uh, excuse me, if a woman divorced a man, you could say the same thing. The man would be just as guilty of adultery as the woman, the woman and the man. God sees it the same thing. Somewhere along the line, the Jewish people had kind of gotten Moses to say, okay, you know, for whatever reason, you can you can just get you can just get a divorce. And it, it was initially God's heart initially in Deuteronomy 24:1 that it was only in the case of unholiness. It was only in the case of committing adultery if the woman had done something sexually impure. Uh, the letter of the divorce was except only, of course, the only standard for divorce in those days was supposed to be if there was uncleanness, if there was sexual immorality, if there was adultery. The heart or the spirit of God says, what's your motivation behind the divorce? Why did you get divorced? If the reasons aren't right, then everybody in the party that's guilty. Whoever wants to divorce for the wrong reasons is guilty of that adultery, whether it's the woman or the man. Because I, I know a good friend of mine right now that his wife divorced him and he never did anything to her, but he wanted to stay married and she wanted to get the divorce. Well, in that case, he's not going to be guilty. He didn't want to be divorced. She did. She's the one that's in, in, in danger of committing adultery. Verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no. For whatever is more than that, is more than these, is from the evil one. So the definition, uh, we might think of swear as using a swear word or a curse word, but it wasn't uh, using a swear word or a curse word. It, the, the definition of this word swear in the Bible it would be to affirm, to promise, to threaten, or with an oath. So you're making an oath. I promise you, uh, uh, I promise you by my car, you know, if I don't do this, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll uh, you know, so on and so forth, I'll, I'll give you my car. Well, Jesus said, don't make promises by anything, heaven or earth, because we need to be, he wants people to be people of integrity, letting your yes be yes and your no be no, simply not complicating anything. Now, this wasn't a commandment either. This would be under Numbers 32, 30 and verse 2 on laws concerning vows. So, letter says, don't make an oath to God and be unfaithful in that oath to God. And that was what you could have read the letter in the oath. You go back to Numbers 30, verse 2, and see that oath and say, that oath was, hey, don't give God lip service. God, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna do this, Lord. I, I'm going to walk a mile today. Uh, then that day comes and goes, oh, well, Lord, I, I was too tired. I, I can only walk a half a mile. That, that was the letter of the law. Whatever you say you're going to do to God, 
Do it. Don't give excuses. The spirit of the law says, be people of integrity. And just, if you say something, do it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And look what he says. But I say to you, do not swear at all, nor by the heaven, for it is the footstool of God, nor by Jerusalem, it is the city of the great king. So when we swear by things, I promise you by this. God says, don't do that. If you say yes, listen, dude, you need help moving next Saturday? I'll help you move next Saturday. And don't make excuses. So if you make an excuse to anyone, the Spirit says, the Spirit of the law says, if you make a promise to somebody, if you say, I will do it, yes, and you break that spin, you break that promise, you just committed sin. That's the law. So the law was only to God, and don't do it to God. Jesus said, don't promise anybody. If you're going to say yes, say yes. Do it. Whatever you said yes, do it. If you can't, dude, I cannot. I'm sorry I say no. Period. The end. 38-42. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the other or turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So now, 38 to 42, this was under this was eye for eye, tooth for tooth, under laws concerning violence, Exodus 21. 24. That's where God gave this law. It wasn't a commandment again. It was a law. Uh, I spoke a few weeks ago about there being six around 623 laws and commandments that God gave to the Jewish nation of Israel. Six about, about around 623 laws slash commandments that they were told to keep. This was under capital punishment. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. When you go back to Exodus 21, 24, what is God telling the people, the letter of the law? If you're walking along and somebody pops up and does evil on you and, and shoots your kid or something, or he comes up and he uh, slashes your tire out on your car, whatever you do, then capital punishment says, go to the magistrates, go to the leaders, go to the rulers of the city, Tell him what happened, and that person's punishment was he got the same thing happened to him as you got happened to you. But it wasn't even supposed to be taken in hand by the person that that had the offense done against them. This was capital punishment. Here in Texas, if you murder somebody, that person goes to trial, you can get the death penalty. But of course, the Jews here, as of course, what's God's problem been since Adam and Eve? Man, the Jews here took it upon themselves to say, well, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, so if they do that to me, I'm going to get them back. Revenge. Ooh, I can get them back. Because, oh, after all, God says eye for eye, tooth for a tooth. Ooh, but the heart on this one is real hard. What did Jesus say? He said, here's my heart on it, but I say to you, don't resist an evil person. Somebody slaps you on the right cheek. Turn the other to him as well. I'm not going to say that's easy to do. I'm not going to say that's easy to do, but what did Jesus say? That's not my words. That's the words of the Master. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. If you notice, the root of this one is love. The root of this one is love. If somebody hurts you, don't get revenge on them back. The Bible says God is our avenger. 
If you're his, God is your vengeance. He says, he says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Don't go getting back on your own because you know what? That just makes for this violence across the board. Jesus in essence said, love them. If they do evil to you, love them and let it go. Forgive them and love them and let it go. But of course, that's not what they were teaching. Eye for an eye, I'm going to get that sucker because he got me. Jesus said, let it go. The heart of the law is, don't hate. Because they completely got the letter of the law wrong. They were taken upon their own selves to do the evil. Wrong, 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 wrong. Education, education, education. 38 through 42. You have heard it was said, and I... Oh, excuse me, 43 through 48. For you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So as we look at this one, it's actually... Uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It's Leviticus 19.18 under the moral and ceremonial laws that God gave. Now, as a, as a note, nowhere did Leviticus 19.18 ever say hate your enemy. Again, this was an annexed in by the Jewish people. The Jewish people said, well, after all, you know, God says love, but what about those enemies? And most likely they annexed it in from a guy named David, the same great King David, which he was a man after God's own heart, but he had his issues too. Mm -hmm. And uh, many of the Psalms talk about, oh, God, you know, I hate those who hate you. And of course, you know, the Jews would have been reading these things and saying, well, of course we're supposed to love our, our, you know, our neighbor, but, you know, those people that hate God or those people that hate me, well, well, you know, David said, you know, so but God never said hate anybody. In fact, God says, I love the person, but I hate their sin. But God loves the person always, but he hates our sin, absolutely. Uh, the letter here says, Love your neighbor only, because that's actually what Leviticus 19.18 says. Love your neighbor as yourselves. Now, the Jewish people misunderstood again, like they did in the whole section. Love your neighbor. They thought that love your neighbor was only their Jewish brethren. Said, oh, okay, I'll love my Jewish people. Okay, that, okay, I'll love, but you know, I'll love the Jewish people. The heart of God says, love everyone in the world and hate Nobody. I'll read it again. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun to rise on the good and evil. Wow. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Love your enemies. So he completely went against what the Jewish people were teaching at that day. Well, we can hate our enemies. They hate God. Well, David said, you know. So they were completely going against God's will in that, and they completely got the letter of the law, they took it to, to an extreme, and then they even added to the letter of the law. Now, now, do you get the title of our sermon? Now, a knife to the heart of self-righteousness. You may be able to do a pretty good job Keeping the letter of the law. Well, I, you know, I've, not, I've never committed adultery. Or I've, 
Well, I've never, uh, I've never taken an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. If you know if somebody's done anything, I just, I just walk away. But God says, well, if if they slapped you and, and so on and so forth, did you get angry with them? Oh, oof, just murdered. Wow. And be honest with ourselves, we've all looked to lust. We've all been angry with someone without a cause. We've all made vows and oaths and not kept them. And the list could go on and on and on and on and on. 623 times probably for each one of us, we've probably broken every single one of God's laws and probably more than once. I mean, I'm 38 and I know, you know, whew. Those are hard. 623. Amen. That's a lot of laws, boy. So what is our point to all this? What is our point? Dude, even if you can keep the letter, you're guilty of the spirit of the law. And what is the law's purpose in Galatians? It's a tutor. I can't be righteous before God by anything I do. I can't be righteous before God because I I didn't break any of these laws. I didn't break any of the commandments because God says, yeah, you did. You may not have done it physically, but you did it inside. You did it in your intentions. We're guilty. Jesus destroys the heart of self-righteousness with this whole section of scripture by cutting right to our hearts. We are sinners and God sees all the wickedness that we that we do and he sees all the wicked things that we've ever done. Whether if we've committed them or whether we've thought about them. And at this point you might be saying, which is a good thing because since the law is a tutor, it's hopeless. I'm done. Well, if, if God sees everything I've done and He sees all the wickedness that I've done, I give up. I, 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 I broke them all probably a thousand times. You, you've seen it all. That's a good thing. To add insult to injury, because I hate, I, I mean, I actually, this is a good one here. Think about, think about these last couple things, because I really like things to really, 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 God shows me, I really want it to sink down deep. I want you to think about these things. In all this, we amazingly see God's passionate love for every single one of us. And you say, how can we see God's love? We're guilty. We're evil. We're guilty. Look what we've done. How can we see God's love in this? And what do I mean by saying that? Even though God sees all of your intentions and your motives of the inner man, look at this. He still wants to save you. He sees everything you've ever done. Everything you're doing right now. And he sees all the evil. And he still wants to save you. That is deep. Think about it. He can hear and see everything you've ever thought, you've ever done, or you've ever said in your whole life. Yeah. 
even the most private of thoughts that you've ever had. Nobody knows that. Oh, I, oh yeah, I thought those. Oh, but, oh, that's just. Oh, that's just me. Nope. God sees them whether bad or good, evil or wicked, or great. God sees them all. Put yourself in God's spot for a minute. Let's say you had on the presence. Let's say you could see every. Let's just take us for one another. I'm not asking us to judge one another. Can't do that. I don't know our sins. I only know my sins. Think yourself right now. Everything you've ever done, thought, said, are saying, are doing right now. Think about them right now. God knows them. He can see them now. Think about those. And now put yourself in God's position. If you were the judge and look at your sins from his spot, never sin one time, never done evil one time, would you forgive you? I wouldn't. I wouldn't forgive me. I know the kind of person I've been. I know the thoughts that go through my mind. I know my intentions. I know my motives. And if I were God, where's my lightning bolt? Where's my lightning bolt? I've never done anything wrong. God could easily cop a self-righteous attitude because God's never sinned. Even just one sin, you've separated yourself from God. One sin, one evil thing you've ever thought. One anger from anybody you've ever done. And you're separated. You're less than perfect. That's why in Jeremiah 17, 9, now that we're thinking of our own stuff, God says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And desperately wicked. Who can know them? What he's telling us there? We're deceitful, even to ourselves. We might even be saying, well, you know, I haven't done that. But I'm asking you to look at everything you've done. And God knows it all. And he still wants to save us. The fact that he can know everything that we're doing and done and even will do. And he doesn't. Send us all to hell, which is what we deserve for our sin, is why John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. God's amazing love. That he could see the things we do and the things we think and still have a desire to save us. 2 Peter 3 9. God is not slack concerning promises, but desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. Every single person on the face of the planet has broken all of God's laws and more. God says, I desire none to perish. His love and his hand is outstretched still for all of us. He gives us a way out. There was one man that came. He didn't break any laws. He didn't break any commandments. He never had an evil motive. He never had a wicked thought. He kept on. He lived from date of birth to age of death. 
33 years and never sinned one time. And his name was Jesus. And he fulfilled the law and the commandments. And he is the reason why anyone can be made righteous before God. Not by anything that we could do. Not by anything we could say. Not by, well, we did evil, so I'm going to go help uh, help out an old lady across the street. You can't work away your right. You can't work away your sin that you've committed. It's always before God. He knows that He sees it. But that Christ came and He died for us on the cross, and He gave a substitutionary atonement. He died in our place. He died because we desire. We we should have died on that cross. We should have died for our own sin. We should die for our own wicked intentions. And the evils of our heart. We are guilty. We deserve to die for those things. We deserve to go to hell for the things that we have done. But instead, he did that for us. And as I was saying, even on Friday night when I went out to preach the gospel on Harry Hines, I told this real nice fellow of mine, I said, you know what's real power? is when you can sit on that cross and Christ had the power to come down any moment and they were spitting on him and they were ridiculing him and they were making fun of him and if you are the Son of God, come down from there. And he stayed. Although he had the power to do and let himself out of the execution. He could have transfigured himself right there on the cross and come down and he could have smote them all. All he had to do was open his mouth and said, fire come out and they all would have been consumed. But he showed his love for us and that he stayed on the cross. He stayed on the cross and hung there until he said, It is finished. What is finished? It is finished. Your redemption. All that's left now is God's got it out there. All we have to do is take it. All we have to do is see it. And all we have to do is respond and say, I'm tired. I don't want to live this way anymore. I'm guilty. I'm evil. There is nothing I can do to earn your righteousness, God. I'm done. Here I am. That's why Jesus can say, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me in John 14, 6. No man on earth has ever lived the righteous life that he lived and never broke one commandment or one sin ever. Only him. That's why turning to Christ with all our hearts, surrendering our lives to Him, and choosing His path daily is our only hope for being saved. And that's not works, it's like getting married to God. I don't want to live a single life anymore, God. <coughs> I need to be married. That's why we need to repent. And repentance is not an action, it's of the heart. If you say in yourself right now, I don't, I'm done, I can't make it on my own. I need Jesus to sacrifice for me. And you say in yourself, I don't want this anymore. I need his sacrifice for me because otherwise I'm doomed. And then God says, live for me. Turn to me and live for me. Give up trying to be righteous on your own. Give up trying to make it on your good works because it will never happen. Turn away from self. Turn away from sin. Turn away from the things we know God hates and come to Christ and surrender at the cross and give your life to Him because He's the only one that can save you. For I am the way and the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father but by me. So to those of us that walk with Him closely, 
anybody that's listening, walking with him, continue to see how evil we really are and continue to never, ever, ever try to make it on your flesh. Your works for God should never be, I want to work for God so I can be saved. Your work should always be for God because He saved me. Because He loved me, I want to serve Him. I want to make my life for Him. I want to do His ways. I want to live the ways that He told me to live. Not because, or to be saved, but because you desire Him and then because he loves you. That's why we do the things that we do. And we have to never forget how evil and wicked will always be till the day of death. And we can never forget Christ's death and his payment on the cross that he paid for us. And to those that are not, to those that are not walking, to those that are not surrendered, to those that have not repented, I ask you to look. You'll never be righteous in your own and even though God sees all your wickedness that you've ever done and that you are doing right now, right in your wickedness, right in your evil, Christ says, come to me and I can save you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you're doing. I care about where you're going. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And only Jesus can give you rest. You'll never rest in your good works. You'll never make it on your good works. You'll never make it in the ways that you do it. You've got to come through Him. And you've got to surrender to Him and stop trying it on your own and give it all to Him and surrender now because it's going to be your fault while you're standing before God at judgment. He said, I did everything for you. I even showed you that I loved you right in your sin. Right where you are right now. And I love you right now. Come to me right now, right like you are. Don't get yourself cleaned up. Don't try to live a better life and then maybe you can make it because that's works. Come to me just as you are right now and cry out to me in your heart right now and say, God, save me. I'm a wicked sinner. Please save my soul. And God loves us all. I don't know why, but God loves us all. I don't even know why. All the evil we've ever done, I don't know why He loves us. Cry out in your heart right now to Him if you're tired. I ain't going to pray no prayer because I don't believe no prayer saves anybody. It's your condition of your heart. If you're cut to the heart right now by what Christ said and realizing you can't make it on your own, every wicked intention that you've ever had in your life, every wicked motive you've ever had in your entire life, He sees Him and you're guilty of breaking the law. The penalty for sin is hell. Because of your sin, you will burn in hell if you don't turn to Christ and turn to Him as the only way you can make it. <clears throat> Please turn to Him and see how much He loves you and repent and cry out to Him right now. And God's love is outstretched to you until you die. And at that point, when you die, you've made your decision in this life. And if you choose to not show God that you're interested in Him now, 
And you're showing him, I'm not interested in you for eternity. Thank you, Jesus. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, dear God. I don't know how you can love me in my sin. I don't know how you can love anybody in your sin. I don't know how you can see all our evil and wicked intentions and our duties and our things and still say, I want to save that person. But yet you do. God, I pray for anybody that's listening that's not yours, has not turned to you, has not responded by your call, has not responded by your Holy Spirit. I pray for them now that you would save them. I pray for them right now, God, they'd surrender to you and be tired of whatever they're living for now. And they turn to you right now and cry out to you and say, I don't want to be this way anymore. Change me, save me. And then, God, your promise, you're faithful to as many as received him to them. He gave the the right to become children of God. If they just receive and turn now, you'll save them. Save them now. And God, I thank you for me. Thank you that you gave me that. And thank you that you've given that choice to everybody. And thank you for that I have took it. Thank you, God, that I walk with you. And thank you that you're my Savior. And God, I pray that all of us that are yours would just continue in good works. And like your word says, be careful in good works, not to be saved, but because we're grateful and thankful. And I pray we'd continue in those things. Pray we continue to do the things that you call us to do and be faithful until the end. And be faithful to just do what you told us to do and live for you. Continuing to look at how awesome and how much you love, how awesome you are and how great you are and how much you love us. We love you and I just praise you and I thank you, dear God. I ask all these things in Jesus' mighty and holy and precious and powerful and saving name. Amen.